Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Somehow, this is a six-line verse, and there's only four lines up here. So, this is January 14, 2017, New Varshana, Auckland, New Zealand. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, Chapter 4, The Process of Creation, Text 7. Yatagopayati vibur Yatasam yachate puna Yam yam shakti mupashritya Purushakti parapumam And there's two more lines, which are not on the board, which is Atmanam, maybe you can we'll do it slowly. Atmanam kridayan kridan Karoti vikaroti cha Yata, as Gopayati maintains Vibhu, the great Yata, as Samyachate winds up Punaha, again Yamyam, as Shakti, energies Upasricha, by employing Purushaktihi, the all-powerful, Paraha, the supreme, Puman, personality of Godhead, Atmanam, plenary expansion, Kridayan, having engaged them, Kridan, as also personally being engaged, Karoti, does them, Vikaroti, and causes to be done. Cha, and. Does anyone know the literal meaning of krida? Play. Yes, it means play. So those lines are not on the board, but you have kridayam atmanam, kridayam kridan. Okay, translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Kindly describe how the Supreme Lord, who is all-powerful, engages his different energies and different expansions in maintaining and again winding up the phenomenal world in the sporting spirit of a player. Purport. In the Kata Upanishad 2.2.13, the Supreme Lord is described as the chief eternal amongst all other eternal individual beings. And the one Supreme Lord who maintains innumerable other living beings, Eko Bahunam Yo So all living beings, both in the conditioned state and in the liberated state, are maintained by the Almighty Supreme Lord. Such maintenance is effected by the Lord through his different expansions of self and three principal energies namely the internal, external, and marginal energies. And you see, 
We have the word Shakti here, and again, one of the lines you can't see is the word Atmanam, so that he's maintaining by himself and by his energies. Going on the purport, the living entities are his marginal energies. Oh, did I read this? Did I say internal, external, and marginal? Okay. The living entities are his marginal energies, and some of them, in the confidence of the Lord, are entrusted with the work of creation also, as are Brahma, Marichi, etc. And the acts of creation are inspired by the Lord unto them, Tene Brahma Urida. The external energy, Maya, is also impregnated with the jivas. Or conditioned souls. The unconditioned marginal potency acts in the spiritual kingdom. And the Lord, by his different plenary expansions, maintains them in different transcendental relations displayed in the spiritual sky. So the one supreme personality of God had manifest himself in many Bahusham, and thus all diversities are in him, and he is in all diversities, although he is nevertheless different from all of them. That is the inconceivable mystic power of the Lord, and as such, everything is simultaneously one with and different from him by his inconceivable potencies, achincha beda beda tattva. Hita gopayati vipur yata samyachite puna yam yam shakti upashricha puru shakti pura puman atmanam kridayam kridan karoti vikaroticha. Kani described by the Supreme Lord, who is all powerful, engages his different energies and different expansions in maintaining and again winding up the phenomenal world in the sporting spirit of a player. So here, uh, Maharaj Brickett is asking about maintenance and destruction, but Srila Prabhupada in his purport is focusing on maintenance. Uh, so I think we'll look at the aspect of maintenance. So we all uh, are, have some concern about maintenance, isn't it? How am I going to eat? How am I going to sleep? How am I going to be sheltered? How am I going to have happiness? How am I going to maintain my relationships right, with my friends, with my family, uh, with the other devotees, and so forth and so on, isn't it? And we put a tremendous amount of energy into maintenance. If you think about uh, how many hours a person usually spends at a job, Typically like eight hours a day plus a commute. People are commuting one hour, two hours even uh, for their job. And then how much time we spend maintenance of our home to, you know, to fix the plumbing and to fix the electricity and to fix this and to fix that. And how much time we spend maintaining our bodies. So even if you don't have a job and even if you don't have a home, uh, how many hours do we sleep every day? Six, seven, eight hours? And then how much time do we spend eating? You know, another couple hours. And then if we're cooking and cleaning up and uh, washing our clothes and cleaning our room, right? even if you live extremely, extremely simply. So how many hours are we spending on the maintenance of our body every day? It's a huge amount of time, isn't it? Probably not less than 12 hours a day that we're spending just in maintaining the body. And then how much energy do we put into maintaining psychologically? You know, maintaining our relationships with others, making sure that we don't offend anybody, and 
if they offend us or we offend them, that we apologize and we fix the relationship, isn't it? Negotiating our dealings with others. So this is also a tremendous amount of energy and thought. If we think about all of the, even in our Krishna consciousness movement, all of the books and the seminars, relationships, and how to maintain them and how to take care of them. So we put a tremendous amount of energy into this maintenance. And here we are told that really the only maintainer is Krishna. Really the only maintainer is Krishna. And that Krishna is maintaining both materially and spiritually. Now this concept of Krishna as the only maintainer is one of the six principles of surrender. So when Krishna says, Sarvadharman prachejamam ekam sharanam bhaja, and we think, well, what exactly does that mean to surrender to Krishna? So some of you may have recently read the story of this uh, devotee, Padasevanam, who you know, got this in- indication from the Lord that she should go to South India and take care of a deity of Nisingadev, who was in a cave <laughs> that you had to get to by walking through water up to your chest and was only being served once a week, and she just said, I'm going. You know, she was like 74 years old and didn't speak any uh, Indian languages, didn't even speak any English. And she went there and said, okay, I'm surrendered. I'm just going to go and take care of the deity. And she gets there, and the local people are saying, how are you going to do this? There's, There's no water even up there. There's no water. There's no food. There's no shelter. She said, Krishna is going to take care of me. And in fact, he did. Not only did he take care of her, but the local people were so impressed that here was this uh, a woman from some part of the CIS that who's coming in her old age and leaving everything to take care of Krishna, that they built her a house and then they fixed up all the local temples and they built marble stairs to the temple and they repaired the temple and they started doing worship every day over a period of, of years, of course. And, of course, we see Srila Prabhupada, who came to America. Uh, what was Srila Prabhupada's hope of maintenance? You know, he had a few rupees which he couldn't even change when he came to America. They, there were hardly any Indians in America at that time. Just like one time when I was in Russia, I got some rubles, and I neglected to change them at the airport in Russia, and then I wasn't able to change them anywhere other place in the world. Any other place I went, they said, sorry, we won't take your rubles so Prabhupada came to America and they wouldn't take his, his rupees. He had nothing. He had a bag of dry cereal. You know, he had like a bag of oats or something. You know, that was it. And a box of books. And, and this concept that Krishna is maintaining me, we see this, of course, with Madhavindapuri is a, perhaps one of the most extreme examples. That Madhavindapuri traveled without a companion. I mean, even Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu traveled with a companion. He traveled with somebody who was carrying his, his bag. He had four sets of clothes. And the person, you know, was, they would cook for him. They would beg on his behalf in the local village, and they would cook for him. So he was traveling with a companion, and he was begging either himself or through somebody else. But Madhavindapuri traveled without a companion. He said, as soon as you get a companion, you're going to risk talking Prajalpa, as I'm sure we have all experienced, even in the Hare Krishna movement. And... <laughs> He didn't beg. He didn't do anything at all for his maintenance. Nothing. If nobody gave him food, then he would fast. Of course, we found uh, Sanatana Goswami did this 
for some time when he was traveling to see Lord Chaitanya. He was traveling to escape the, um, the guards sent out by his family as he was traveling through the forest like that and not even begging, but he fasted for a lot of that time and he actually got ill from, from drinking bad water. But this concern with how will I be maintained, you know, and of course we have a very extreme example of a householder, Sri Vastakur, who also didn't do anything to maintain himself and his family. And Mahaprabhu came and said, well, you have a large dependent family, but I don't see you have any source of income. What's going on here? And he said, oh, I have a three, I have a one, two, three policy. Oh, what's this one, two, three policy? He says, if day three, nothing, day one, nothing comes, I fast. Day two, nothing comes, I fast. Day three, nothing comes, I fast. And then after that, I jump into the Ganga. And Lord Chaitanya says, even if the goddess of fortune has to go out with a begging bowl, I'll make sure you always get something to eat. Uh, we have another very extreme example is the python-like devotee that Prahlad Maharaj found. So this devotee was just lying on the ground, waiting for food to come to him as if he were a python. And, and, but he was, wasn't skinny. And Prahlad Maharaj says, how is it that you're making no effort whatsoever to maintain yourself and yet you're healthy and, and you're not skinny. And he says, well, Krishna is maintaining everybody. So these are, of course, are very extreme examples. And when we hear these examples, we become frightened. And we say, you know, am I expected to drop everything and go to some remote cave in South India to take care of the deity without any drinking water? <laughs> you know, is this the kind of surrender that they just wander around without a companion and without begging and figure that Krishna is going to come with a pot of milk to feed me when I'm hungry. You know, is this what Krishna is asking of me? So maybe not on the external level. I said even Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't do that to that extreme. He traveled with a companion and he, he would beg. And even Raghunathas Goswami, uh, whose, his renunciation was like lines in stone. He's the epitome of renunciation. So he would go to get some food. I mean, it was pretty austere food. But still he made some effort you understand? And he, he made various, over the years, variously more extreme forms of, uh, of food that he was eating. And his type of effort became more and more austere. You know, he would go from, I forget exactly what the order was, he was taking some money from his father, and he was standing at the gate, and he was begging from the shop. I think first he was begging from the shopkeepers, then he was standing at the gate, and then he was taking the old rejected rice. And so this, I think that was his order in, in this mood of just depending on Krishna. So we see that surrender devotees, some of them make no effort whatsoever to maintain themselves, and some of them make an effort to maintain themselves. But whether they're making an effort externally or they're not making an effort externally, the mood is they have, is Krishna is depending. Is Krishna is the one I'm depending on. Krishna is the one who's maintaining me. I'm not maintaining myself. So having this mood of surrender doesn't necessarily mean that one has to be like Madhavendra Puri. One could be like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. doesn't mean one has to be like Srivast Pandi. I mean, even uh, Mahaprabhu told the sons of Bhavananda Roy when there was that story of Gopinath Patanayaka. Gopinath Patanayaka had not quite a proper financial relationship with, his, with the government, his employer. And uh, the son of the king... Maharaj Pratyaprabhu's son was so angry at Gopinath Patanayake he was going to have him executed 
Actually, he was mostly angry because Gopinath Patanayake insulted him. You know, Gopinath Patanayake said, well, I'll pay my debt with my horses. I'll give some of my very valuable horses, so I'll use those to pay my debt, and later on I'll give you the rest. And Maharaj Pradipurudra's son said, well, that's not enough. You have to pay all of your debt right now. You know, the horses are not sufficient. And Gopinath Patanayake said, well, at least they don't have a funny habit of turning their neck to look up at the sky, because that's what the prince did. He evidently had some sort of a tick or some sort of a funny habit looking up at the sky. <laughs> and the prince was so offended. You know how we can fly into a rage when we're offended? Anybody ever experienced that? Or if you think you're offended? So he flew into a rage. Kill him! <laughs> anyway, Lord Chaitanya eventually saved Gopinath Padanayaka. And he made the point there. He said, I don't want all my devotees to be renunciates. He said, I also need people working in the world. He said, I don't want you brothers to quit work course Raman under Roy did quit working for the government. He said, but I don't want everyone to quit. He said, I want people in responsible positions. So the point is not that depending on the Lord for my maintenance doesn't necessarily mean that I take on the externals of Madhavindapuri. But it's a certain mentality. The mentality is Krishna is maintaining me and whatever I'm doing, I'm doing for service. If Krishna wants me for service to maintain a large family and have a job, and then I do that as my service. And if Krishna wants me for service to just travel around without a companion and without begging, then I do that for service. But I'm not doing my service for maintenance. I'm doing my service for service, and Krishna's maintaining me. You know, they, they say you can always know what you love, by what you would do even if you weren't paid. And if you get paid to do it, that's just an extra perk. You know, what do we do naturally without getting paid for it? And if we can get paid for it, well, they're great. Fantastic. Now I don't have to do something that I don't like just to make money. So it should be like that, that I'm doing my service for Krishna just because I love Krishna, not because I want to get something from him. Whatever that service may be, whether it's in, as a brahmachari, vanaprastha, sannyasi, or whether it's a grahasta, whether it's taking care of other people, whatever it may be, that, that's really not very important. We tend to think of our surrender and our advancement in terms of our externals. And we tend to think of other people's surrender and advancement in terms of their externals. You know, this lady who went to South India, she was just some old, you know, Eastern European lady. And obviously she was one of the most advanced devotees in our movement. But externally it didn't look like that. You understand? Externally she wasn't the kind of people that, that people, oh yes, look at this very advanced. And we tend to think, you know, if, if I'm going to be advanced and I'm going to surrender to Krishna, the main thing I have to look at is how to change the externals of my life. That, that's actually not a fact. So here Prabhupada is explaining how Krishna maintains us. And I just think it's so, so sweet. So he says that Krishna is maintaining us both in conditioned life and in our liberated state. Right? Both in the conditioned state and in the liberated state. So how are we maintained in the conditioned state? Prabhupada says, 
through the energy of trusted jivas, because here you have the Shakti. And Prabhupada says, it's also, I really like the way he puts this. He says, through those who are, who are in his confidence, the living entities are his marginal energies, and some of them, in the confidence of the Lord, are entrusted with the work of creation. So Krishna asks some of his living entities who he trusts. They trust him, he trusts them. Okay, take care of the jivas. Sometimes that's given to us too, right? Those of us that are a spouse or a parent. Krishna's given us some entities to take care of. Or if we're in charge of an ashram, you know, if we're the head of the brahmacharya ashram, or we're in charge of a temple, or we're in charge of a project, or we have students, or we have disciples, that's Krishna saying, okay, take care of these jivas on my behalf. And Krishna is maintaining us, obviously, directly, but it may be through those agents. Of course, it's very, very interesting, you know, in the verse, Yoga Kshema Vaham Yaham. You know, what does this mean? Krishna is maintaining directly. So even though it seems to be coming through an agent in confidence, still we understand it's Krishna. If we think, oh, it's, you know, my teacher, my temple president, my husband, my parents, my brahmachari leader, they're the ones who are maintaining me, then we're in illusion. Lord Kapiladev says, if a woman thinks her husband is the source of her home, her children, her money, uh, then her relationship with her husband is like that between a deer and a hunter. So even though Krishna is maintaining the conditioned souls through other living entities, it's actually he who's doing it. You know, if you work for a company, you may not get your paycheck directly from the president of the company, but it's actually the CEO who's ultimately maintaining you. It's not the person in the cashier's office who cuts you the check. You understand? That's not really the person who's doing it. Or if you graduate from a university, it's the dean of the university that signs the diploma, right? Not the, it's not the individual professors. So we may apparently be maintained, you know, this way or that way, but we see that it's Krishna. And of course, every once in a while, that becomes very apparent to us that it's Krishna, that it's really not the jiva. You know, I think we particularly notice this when Krishna reciprocates with something that the jivas maintaining us didn't know about. Isn't it? You know, you, you want something or you need something and you don't tell anybody and you don't express it to anybody. And then some other jiva gives it to you. Right? We've all had this experience. You get exactly what you need through some other living entity and immediately you know, hey, that was Krishna. You don't mistake the agent as the person, you don't, you don't just say, well, how did you know exactly what I needed? That doesn't mean we don't appreciate the other jivas. It doesn't mean we have no gratitude for the other jivas who act as Krishna's agents. But we see that Krishna is maintaining us. This also means that we should aspire to become confidential servants of the Lord in this world. Even maintaining our own body we're doing that as Krishna's confidential agent. We had a, a really funny interchange in, in I was giving the class in Vrindavan. So one of the one of the uh, people in the in the temple room asked about being merciful to all living entities, Jiva Doya. 
And he was, he was saying, I don't know, is, is ISKCON enough into mercifulness to other living entities? Are we doing enough in ISKCON to be merciful for other living entities? So one of, one of the brahmacharis said, well, the main way I'm merciful to other living entities is that when I eat prasadam, all of the cells in my body and all the living entities who live in my body also get prasadam. So this is my prasadam distribution program and my mercy to all other living entities program. So, you know, I thought that was very humorous. When uh, Bhakti Sarabhadabhadar Maharaj actually asked this question to Srila Prabhupada, he said, when we're eating prasadam, are we benefiting all the living entities? And Prabhupada also laughed. And he said, oh, this is your, your mercy to other living entities. You're eating. <laughs> but we should really have the mood, even when we're eating, that this is Krishna's property. This body is Krishna's property. It's not my property. And I'm maintaining it as his confidential servant, as his servant in confidence, that he can trust me, that Krishna can trust me to maintain this body properly. Right? Like right now I'm staying in someone else's place and I pretty much always stay in someone else's place. <laughs> Even my room in Hawaii is actually part of my son's house. It's not my place. So I'm always staying in someone else's place. And when you're staying in someone else's place, you feel a sense of trust. That they're, they're trusting that you're going to take care of their place. Right? Isn't it? And one devotee here, Charu um, Chandravali, and she said, you know, if you want, you can use my car. I'm a little hesitant since I'm accustomed to driving on the other side of the road. So I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do that. <laughs> but Krishna's trusting us. He's saying, you know, here's this body. Here's the mind is also Krishna's. Krishna says, of all the senses, I am the mind. Now that's also Krishna's. What to speak of any other living entities that we have any responsibility for? So if we deal with them like that, Generally, we deal with other living entities and our body and our mind as objects to create a certain experience for ourselves. Oh, my body is going to be an object in order to give me a certain set of experiences. My mind is an object that will give me a certain set of experiences. The people that I deal with, you know, well, my husband is going to give me a certain set of experiences. My wife is going to. The brahmachari leader is going to. The other brahmacharis in the ashram. I'm coming to them with a list of these are the experiences that this person is supposed to provide me or this object is supposed to provide me. And even we go to Krishna like that. You know, okay, Krishna, I'm worshipping you because you're supposed to give me a certain set of experiences. But instead, if we if we turn it around and say, I'm the steward, I'm the caretaker out of love. You know, because I have affection for Krishna, I'm going to take care of this body, not to get some not to suck some experiences out of it, but as a service. I'm going to take care of my mind, not to suck some experiences out of it, but as a service. I'm going to take care of the other people that I interact with, whether it's just somebody I interact with briefly at a bus stop or at a shop or people I interact with over my whole life in my family, I'm going to take care of them as a service to Krishna. And when we do that, then we're part of this wonderful, caring, loving maintenance that the Lord is doing. And when we act like that, we become much more aware of how the Lord is maintaining me. And we lose our anxiety over maintenance. We start having only a loving anxiety 
how can I take care of whatever the Lord has given me? And we know that he's worrying about our maintenance. Now, part of that You know, I'm waiting for the day when, then, when everyone's gadgets turn on with just the right background music for what we're talking about in the class. That would be really cool. You know? yeah. All right, Krishna. So we may have some anxiety about doing our job, but our anxiety about doing our job is not how can I get enough to maintain my family and my body, but our anxiety about our job is how can I do my job nicely as a service. And we let Krishna worry about the maintenance. Then Prabhupada talks about in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, Krishna is also maintaining the energy, the living entities. He says that he maintains them in different transcendental relations displayed in the spiritual sky. So in the spiritual sky, there's no question of maintenance in terms of money and electric, electric, electrical bills. You know, they don't need a sun or a moon or electricity. You don't need to worry in the spiritual sky, you know, is my washing machine going to break? Right? Is my car going to break? You don't have that kind of maintenance. You don't have the maintenance, you know, is my body going to get sick? Is my body going to die? The only thing that everyone's maintaining in the spiritual world is what? Krishna's pleasure. It's just love. What's being maintained is simply love. And Krishna here is maintaining all the living entities uh, in their particular relationships. So the maintenance in the spiritual world is only in terms of giving, loving relationships. And that is what we are supposed to be practicing even in this conditioned life. So ultimately, we want to go beyond uh, just simply acting as Krishna's agent and trusting him to maintain us. Because that's taught in practically all the world's religion in one form or another, isn't it? Be the steward, be the caretaker, serve the Lord and he will take care of you. That, that's a universal religious truth. Although in many religions they teach it in a very fruitive way. You know, you're still trying to use God for, to get some experience. <laughs> and you're just serving him rather than trying to steal. But this basic concept is there. But the concept of having a transcendental relationship with the Lord that has nothing to do with this world whatsoever is what I have found, only explained, explained really thoroughly in these Vedic scriptures. And if we don't take advantage of that part of the Vedic scriptures, if we only take care of the, of the part of understanding Krishna in this world, which we have to take care of also, then we've lost out on the main gift that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is giving the world. So we were reading the other day that we can't just focus on the transcendental realm, we also have to understand how Krishna is working in the creation. We also have to connect with him here. But we also have to connect with him in the transcendent world. If Krishna consciousness is just about how to spiritualize 
my life in this world. It's not ultimately going to satisfy the soul. What's really going to satisfy us is if we come to this level of maintenance. And when Prabhupada comments on Yoga Kshema Vaham Yaham, that Krishna will take care of everything that we have and everything that we lack, he writes about that not only in terms of our ideas of maintenance in this world, but also in terms of our spiritual life. If we want him to, if we want him to, if, if we come to him with that mood, please take me the next step in my spiritual life. Please uh, maintain what I have spiritually, provide what I lack. I am depending on you. And if we don't take up spiritual life as a hankaravimudha makartaham itimanyate, if we don't take up spiritual life in terms of this is some kind of technique or some kind of you know, I have to master a, a, a technique. Of course, Prabhupada says we should master the technique of crying for Krishna. That doesn't mean like some kind of a, an actor. But if we don't take up spiritual life as I am the doer, and I'm going to do my Krishna consciousness like this and like this and like this and like this and like this, and then Krishna is going to give me the experiences that I want, like he's some kind of a vending machine. But if we take up spiritual life, then how can I have a transcendental relationship with the Lord? And depend on him for the maintenance even of my spiritual advancement. Depend on him for the relationship of everything. Depend on him to go forward. And what my job is, just like materially, my job is to be a steward. My job is to be a caretaker of whatever Krishna has given me to take care of. However small it may be, just this body and mind, or whether I'm taking care of a vast empire. And then Krishna maintains me. So spiritually, my only job is to develop my transcendental relation with the world. And then he takes care of everything else. And he's very expert at taking care of everything else. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections. I was hoping Mars was going to stay to add something. He had other programs. Yes, Oh, how does charity relate to maintenance? Well, Prabhupada explains that our wealth in this life is in direct proportion to how charitable we were in other lives. And in this life as well. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So if if you have several children and you give something to one of your children and they keep it all for for themselves, then next time you're only going to give that child enough for him or herself. But if you give something to one of your children and that child shares it with his brothers and sisters, then you're likely to give him more. So when Krishna sees that whatever he gives us, we distribute, then he gives us more. When he sees that whatever he gives us, we fearfully keep just for ourselves, then he'll only give us barely enough for ourselves. And this is true even at, for, at mundane levels. Even charity in the mode of ignorance is better than no charity at all. The concept of giving, like Krishna talks about in the 12th chapter, he says, you know, if you, if you can't just love me, then do sadhana bhakti to awaken your desire. If you can't do sadhana bhakti, then work for me. If you can't work for me, give away the fruits of your action. 
or you can meditate and cultivate knowledge. But better than meditation and cultivate knowledge is giving away the fruits of your action. And he says, charity should not be given up even by the great souls. Purifies even the great souls. So, whatever we give, we Prabhupada said, if you want to get knowledge, you give knowledge. And he told Jamuna, the cook, he said, if you don't teach others what you know, you'll become envious. So she put a lot of effort into teaching others how to cook for Krishna. I mean, I'm sure most of us have seen her big cookbook. Imagine what it took to produce that book. She had two, at least two cooks test every recipe, an experienced cook and an unexperienced cook. All those ingredients, I mean, wow. How long must that, how much effort did that take? And then she, she became very famous. She won a lot of awards. She got a lot of television and radio shows. Eventually she stopped because she found that they were more interested in George Harrison than in Shula Prabhupada. So eventually she kind of moved away from it. But she made a big effort to spread whatever. So charity also isn't just money. Because, like, let's say you get paid $20 an hour. So if you give an hour of service, that's like giving $20. You understand? So charity isn't just money. So charity is giving money. Charity is giving your time. Charity is giving your expertise. Your knowledge. Your, your, your advice. So all of those things are kind of charity. Whatever we have, we should share. Whatever we have, we should share. Whatever we have, we should share. Now, Vranti Dave, who was extreme, he was willing to share even if it meant his own death. You know, most of us shouldn't be that extreme, frankly. <laughs> but that's the, that the principle is whatever we have, we should share. And if there's something we don't think we have enough of to share, share it anyway. And then Krishna will give you more. If we don't have enough of something, it's because we haven't been sharing it. We think, first, let me get enough to share, and then I will share. No, no, no. First share, and then you will get more than enough. That's, that's how things work. It's like, Krishna, first show me that you're there, and then I'll surrender to you. He's like, you're not going to understand I'm here unless you surrender to me. It, it, it works the opposite way. Even if you only have a very, very, very little. Kolovich Shridhar, he had so little. And still he used half for worshipping Ganga. So even if you have very little, give something. Whatever it may be. Whatever. It doesn't, it's not just, we're not just talking about money. Yes. Yes. Otherwise, if, if there's not any stretch involved, you're probably not really, it's probably not much of a give. You know? If all you give is your old, worn out, broken stuff that you don't care about anyway, it's not really much, it's not really much of a give. You know, if you're like, well, you know, I can give this and, and my life won't be affected in any way. It's not, that's, that's not really the principle of it. Because giving, part of this giving is, is a trust that Krishna will take care of me. And we, we see it practically. Don't we see this practically? Does everybody have experience with this? And of course, you have to give genuinely. 
if you there's a motive passion charity is when you give when you don't really want to give so not that kind of a thing you don't want to give resentfully you don't want to give with the idea of getting something back you don't want to give because some superior told you to then that's all becomes the motive passion I don't really want to give this money, you know, but my town president told me I have to. And, you know, I know some devotees like that where the, the woman gave her entire inheritance to Srila Prabhupada to buy a temple. And, and she wasn't married at the time. But the person who resented her giving it was her husband. So after she gave everything to Srila, she gave it directly to Srila Prabhupada to buy a temple. And her husband used to complain on a regular basis about it. His complaint was, my wife gave everything, but the temple doesn't maintain us in exchange. Since my wife gave everything, why should I have to work? They should maintain me. And this was his mantra for years. Which was interesting, because it wasn't even something, he didn't even give it. He didn't even know her at the time. But, you know, if we're giving like that, you know, you see people do that. They, they move into a, an ashram and they spend, you know, 10 years in the ashram and they're just, you know, going out and doing books and cleaning the ashram and they're giving their life and their time and their energy and then they come out of the ashram after 10 years and they said, God, why did I give all my youthful life? I could have gotten a university degree and I could have done this and I could have done that and I could have done this and I could have done that. I just did it because my authority told me to do it. And, right? We've seen this, yes. So that's a giving in the mode of passion. That we shouldn't do that kind of giving. Regret later, lamentation later, just because somebody pushed us into it. It wasn't something we were really prepared to give. So although it should be a stretch, it should also be something we're giving willingly from the heart without expecting any return. Just because it's you will please Krishna. When we say out of duty, that doesn't mean like a mode of passion duty. It's my duty to do this from Dharma. It means it's the right thing to do. Yes. Well, of course, Jarasandhar giving um, was interesting because Krishna used that tendency of Jarasandhar's giving eventually to have him yeah, killed. Of course, he's not an ordinary person. Being killed by Bhima in the presence of Krishna isn't an ordinary thing. But yet, yeah, his mood of giving charity was for his ego, and, and Krishna even played into that. And he said, you know, everyone's going to die, but you will live forever in your fame. If you think about that, it's completely ridiculous. It's absurd. After I leave this body, I'm not going to know if people are praising me. I mean, my guess is that some of us here, in some past life, did something pretty amazing. Probably all of us had at least one past life where we did something totally amazing. And people may still be praising us for it. You know, I know one, one child who was born, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I know one child who was born in the movement and several different astrologers said in his last life he was a big guru in India and he still has many disciples worshipping him there. 
you know, and to the kid it was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> so, you know, we, we may have some big statue in our honor. You, you follow what I'm saying? Maybe our name is in a history book somewhere. Or maybe there's a statue in our honor somewhere about something we did in a previous life. We don't even care. Who cares? I don't have any. I don't identify with that person anymore. <laughs> so this is so stupid, you know. <laughs> Sacrifice now so you'll be famous forever after you're dead. But it's such a big ego, you know. It's such a big ego. But Krishna used that. So we shouldn't give charity like that. We shouldn't give charity so people will praise me and I'll get a statue in my honor and I'll get a plaque up in the temple and that's all charity in the mode of passion. Yes. So you're thinking in the family, I just want to repeat this, so you're thinking in the family, if we're doing things as a service, that if you're cooking for your deity, you would cook differently than if you're cooking for your family. But you still want your family member to have this nice experience like you had coming back from doing books and a nice meal rating. So you want to do the same thing for your family members. So you're thinking about whether or not you should take your son mountain bike riding is But it may be that you are serving Krishna. Well, just okay, let let's imagine for a minute, because it's actually true, that the deity in your home is actually personally Krishna. That actually there's Krishna, the person there. And he's given you these living entities to take care of. Would he want you to cook for him things that the living entities that you're taking care of wouldn't be happy with? Would you? But so then it's also personal. You understand? I mean, let's say you're in charge of something. You know, if you're in charge of something, you would want the people there to be happy. Do you know what Krishna does when he's given food by his mother? When he goes out to the forest and he's given food by his mother, you know, because he's the prince of Raja, so he may get food that's a little fancier than some of the other cowherd boys got. So what do you think he does? He gives it to them. And he may eat their simple food and he gives them his fancy food. Now what does he give to them? He gives each boy what they what they like. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did this also when he was serving prasadam. It said he, he tended to serve people too much. 
So, you know, Swarov Damodar and said, they'd say, you know, Mahaprabhu, would you please sit down and let us serve? <laughs> because he was giving everybody enough for ten people. But he gave, it's described by Krishna Das Kaviraj that Mahaprabhu gave everybody the things they particularly liked. Which tells us, first of all, that liberated souls have likes and dislikes, which is kind of the, part of the meaning of personality. But it also shows us over and over and over and over, how many times do we need to hear it, that Krishna gives each devotee particularly what they like. He even has a somewhat different form for each devotee. So if, if I am Krishna's servant in confidence, Prabhupada uses that word here, if I'm Krishna's servant in confidence and my service is to take care of these particular jivas, isn't Krishna going to want me to give them the food that they particularly like? Because that's what he would do if he was personally present in the house. And he is personally present in the house. So that's what he wants to do. But he's allowing it to be done through me because he's very kind. He could, you know, walk off the altar and do it himself. But to give me something to do in his service, because he's very kind, he lets me do that. So if I'm not doing that, how am I his confidential servant? He'd say, why are you giving these, these jivas that you're taking care of things that they don't like? Of course, that doesn't say that if you have little babies that you should you know, cook ten different meals for your... You know, part of your responsibility is to train your children. So if it's very young children, you know, I, I can't see you have three or four children. Well, I only want to eat this. Well, I only want to eat that. Well, I only want to eat that. You know, and it's not that you have to become the gourmet personal chef of, of each of your babies. You know, I visited a home like that once, you know. So what would you like to eat? I want a grilled cheese sandwich. Okay, dear. So she makes a grilled cheese sandwich. I don't want a grilled cheese sandwich anymore. Now I want pasta. Okay, dear. Now I'll make you pasta. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is completely ridiculous. Unless your mother is soda with baby Krishna, then you could do that, you know. But otherwise, that probably isn't very good training. And as far as as far as other things, you know, that's a whole other discussion. You know, I, I think. We, we've kind of learned in our Krishna consciousness movement to not be super fanatical with the other people in our care, whether they're our children, whether they're our spouse, whether they're the other devotees in the temple. Prabhupada says, be strict with yourself and be lenient with others. And at the same time, we don't want other people to pull us in a position that's harming our Krishna consciousness. And, and how, to, how to find, like Prabhupada says, the highest principle is to save others and higher than that is to save yourself. So if being lenient with others and helping others where they're at starts compromising your own ability to think about Krishna, then you may have to say, sorry, you know, this is not something that I'm going to be a part of. If you want, if you want to do that, okay, but that's not something I want to be a part of. Or, you know, this is something, if you want to live in our house and we're paying your bills, this is something we're not going to let you be. Sorry, you can't do that in our house that we're maintaining you. So you have a, a line. You understand what I'm saying? That you give, you give people some space for how they're approaching Krishna consciousness. You don't try to force everybody into some super fanatic mold. And you don't try to force everybody into what you can do either. And at the same time, you don't want to be so accommodating that 
the atmosphere in your house is ruined and your own meditation is ruined. Does that all make sense? And also keep in mind, you know, I should someday give a seminar, Practical Humility 101. But, you know, one, the one practical humility is that what's easy for me may be hard for someone else and what's hard for me may be easy for someone else. And if I just look at Krishna consciousness in terms of that person isn't willing or able to do in Krishna consciousness what's very easy for me, therefore they're insincere. Instead of thinking, wait a minute, do I have things that are hard for me? Do all of us have things that are hard for us? So I'm sure we all have things in Krishna consciousness that are so easy that we don't even have to think about them. We just do them naturally, like we're breathing you know, we just don't even have to think about them. Oh, I followed the four principles today. Oh, I, I did? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. I always do it. You follow what I'm saying? Maybe things like that. Just I do. But someone else may be struggling with that like crazy. And then there are certain things that are kind of moderate. We, we, we do them, but we have to put some energy into them. We have to think about them. We have to make some effort to do them. It's not just automatic. And then we have certain things that's like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to do this? And we just struggle and struggle, isn't it? Everybody has all three categories, yes? So, so does everybody else. I mean, unless they're completely in Krishna Prema. And even then, they don't think like that. They think, I'm so fallen. So, so does everybody else. And, and my struggles and my ease may be different from someone else's. And I have to be careful of Atmavan Manyate Jagat, that I judge somebody else by my standards. And maybe that person who has a problem that I don't have at all, maybe they don't have a problem that I have. Maybe they're attached to some frivolous sport, and I have no attachment to frivolous sports. But maybe they never criticize anybody, and I'm just struggling, you know, a thousand times a day not to criticize everybody who comes in my path. You follow what I'm saying? So I have to look at things with a little, little humility. That, that also helps. And Krishna hasn't thrown me out of the Krishna consciousness movement just because I have my particular struggles. You know, some of us is overeating, some of us is criticizing, some of us is prajapa, some of us, some of us is one of the regulated principles, some of us is our 16 rounds, right? I mean, right? Some of us is eating garbage food. I mean, so many things that it may be. And Krishna is still, he's still letting us stay, Yes. I was downstairs here in this temple on Govardhan Puja and I was telling how Indra had offended Krishna and Krishna forgave him. That Indra thought that Krishna had offended him and then he realized that he had offended Krishna. And I said, one time I was sure that this group of devotees had offended me and ten years later I realized that I had offended them and finally apologized. And there was somebody in the audience who said, why would Krishna let anybody stay in the Hare Krishna movement if they were offensive for 10 years? And I said, oh, are you suggesting he should have thrown me out of the movement? <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't talking about you. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it was really funny. So if, if somehow Krishna is tolerating me and my failures and my struggles and my difficulties and, and, and my insufficiencies, who am I? To, to jump on and judge somebody else. You know, let me concentrate on what they're doing right and give them a little space for what they haven't gotten yet. At the same time, I've got to protect myself and my environment. Does that 
That makes sense. And I think that's also being Krishna's servant because that's exactly what Krishna does. Krishna protects his own environment. He's not letting anybody into the spiritual world who's not completely pure, which is why I'm not there. You know, there's guards keeping people like me out with tridents, you know. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, and it's not just Krishna. The Lord Shiva's doing that. Balaram's doing that. You know, Mother Yasoda's hanging on to Krishna tightly, not letting any rascals <laughs> be with him. So Krishna's protecting his own realm. At the same time, he's very kindly nurturing people and tolerating their struggles while he gives them facility to advance. That he's not forcing, you know, he says, look, if you want to be happy, then sarva dharma and parichajama may come sarnam. If you want to be happy, but ye tamam prapadyate tam satayva bhajamyaham. But I'll reciprocate with you as you go. So having that mood, if we're a Krishna servant taking care of people, we need to have that mood also. Otherwise, we're not really Krishna servant. Otherwise, frankly, it's our own ego. Is it? Okay. Unless somebody else has a thing, we should probably. Anybody else have a question? Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki We had more kids here today than we had on the kids' class. I was thinking, should I give the kids a kids' class today? You know?